Hi, Chris. How are you? Yeah, all is well in the somewhat hot, sticky shed. Yeah, it's exactly the same here. The car thermometer said it was 29 degrees today, but I'm sure it was hotter than that. <laughs> it certainly feels hotter than that. It's the same here, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's and, uh, 33 coming at the weekend, apparently. Yeah, I've seen 33. I've seen the southeast towards London may get as high as 40. That's hot. That's We can't cope with that kind of weather in the UK. Not built for it. I was loving it today, actually, to be fair. I did a few jobs this morning, went for a walk at lunch. It was lovely. I was genuinely nice. I didn't walk too far and I kept quite shady, but it was lovely. Yeah, it looked nice from outside of my office window, i got to say. And uh, I shut the blinds very quickly because come the afternoon, the sun hits my office and it turns into a greenhouse. Yeah, snap my blinds. My IKEA blinds that work here with HomeKit have been shut pretty much all day. Very sensible. The, sort of the funny an- anecdote I've got is for the dog, we have an old paddling pool for the kids. So we inflated that and put it in the garden and the dog has been hopping into it every so often and just dipping her feet quite happily and then running around the garden. So uh, look after your animals in these hot times as well. Yeah, definitely. Good. Should we crack on? Episode 25, the 11th of July. So straight into follow-up, I thought I'd give a little bit of feedback. Amazon Prime Day is coming tomorrow and they've got some pre-deals going and immediately the Kindle Paperwhite I bought for 135 quid is 94 I'm not surprised, and my brother's in the same quandary for his partner of getting her a Kindle. They're always on, there's always a deal to be had. You just got to wait. It's the same with the Eros. Never, I paid full price for them once, never again, because literally two weeks later, they're in the prime day whenever they came out three years ago. Yeah, I, when you need it, you need it though, don't you? I guess you can't you know, buy one on the off chance you're going to have one down the line a little bit. So I've resigned myself. It is what it is. I enjoyed my books on holiday. But if you're thinking about getting a Kindle, maybe now's the time to get one. And that's about it, really. You know, just keep in mind. To be fair, I think most of the Prime sales aren't great. Generally, you look at it and you think it's a bunch of tats. I will have a look tomorrow for the new TV, which I still haven't bought. And if it's not there, then I'll go back to plan A. But uh, yeah, I'll have a look. But Giving Amazon more money, not always the thing I'm most popular, uh, most happy to do anyway. No, I agree, mate. I often just keep a list of things I'm interested in. If they come up in Prime Day, I'll have a look. I often use camelcamelcamel.com, which is a website where you can put an Amazon URL into it. And it's like a price track. It will tell you what the lowest for that price is. And so sometimes that's quite interesting on Prime Day because the deals on Prime Day aren't always as good as you are led to believe. Yeah, that's that's good consumer feedback. Well, I agree. Yep, so that was that story. I had a little bit of follow-up on the Brave browser and the Safari browser and ProRes, i.e. could they hit the higher refresh rates on my MacBook Pro's micro-LED liquid retina mini XDR, whatever the actual proper title of it is, display? I can't remember what it's called on the MacBook, but I guess it's the same as my iPad, Super Retina XDR. It's a beautiful screen. So I launched the Brave browser because I've been trying to, as talked about last week, I've been using Brave for search. And I found a lovely little URL, which I've put in the show notes, called testufo.com, which will actually measure the refresh rate of your screen as long as you don't mess about with the browser too much. And the Brave browser, 120 hertz. No problem at all. A little bit of stuttering here and there because it reports back. And if it hits it with a high enough resolution display, it will tell you what it thinks your display is. It cuts it down to 60 hertz and it shows you at 30 hertz as well. Just three little UFO patterns moving across the screen. I was really impressed. Good website, actually. Brave, no problem. 120 hertz. thought, oh, I wonder if Safari can do it. So I fired up Safari as well. 60 hertz. So Apple themselves have not, as far as that test is going anyway, 120 hertz in the Safari browser. I'm really surprised by that. 
I guess you don't really need a browser to perform at 120 frames per second, but you do show video and things in them, so you think they just want to make it the same as the screen. Yeah, and, oh, I don't know, and a lot of what people consume on their devices is through the web browser these days. Yeah, so that's... Mm, that's an odd one. Okay. It, it is an odd one, but that's two strikes against Safari for me recently, you know, that not supporting, well, it's not their fault that Google pay them lots of money to have Google as the default searching engine Safari. That's not Apple's fault. I don't blame them at all. But, you know, with the hits that uh, DuckDuckGo have taken and others, it's, it's quite nice to have that. So, yeah, still enjoying Brave on my Mac. Integrates really well 1Password, and it's got 120 hertz, so I'm quite pleased with that. Fair enough. I still should check out Brave. I haven't. So apologies on my part. Well, it makes sense. You're not using a Mac all the time. You're on an iPad, and no matter what browser you're on, on an iPad, it's Safari. So I, you know, I, I can understand, Chris. It is what it is. Yeah, fair one. Okay. Should we move on? Yeah, let's move on. So the next bit of follow-up was also with me, and that was about looking at HDR content on, again, this lovely display that's on this laptop. So I took your advice. I recorded some fairly challenging, only about 15 seconds worth of video in a poorly lit room to the outside of an ambulance passing by. Attached to my MacBook, I had a Dell, snappily named, a Dell U241-4H monitor, which is a fairly reasonable PC business monitor. It does 60 hertz. It's got a very slight Mac coating on it. It's got all the ports known to man. It's, it's 24 inch. It's a reasonable display at 1080p. So I played it full screen on that and I played it full screen on my, my, my laptop's own display. What a difference. The ambulance passing looked sort of a dull gray color, you know, from outside because it couldn't cope, it couldn't show the, the differences in tone. The XDR or, or whatever the name of this mini LED display is, was beautiful. Everything was white, it was crisp, it handled with the changes in lights, and it was genuinely very bright on the display. So same environment, you know, one from the other, full screen on one, full screen on the other. Massive difference between the attached external display and the internal display. Apple's built-in displays are fantastic, I must confess. that I, I think I've got one very similar in my iPad to what you've got in your MacBook, and it is stunning. The quality is amazing. The studio display is very good, but it is not as good, even though it costs roughly the same price as my iPad. The display just isn't as good for whatever reason, but they do make good displays on the whole, to be fair. They, they do, and you've got to pay a lot of money to get that sort of display, like you say. I mean, it's probably not a million miles away from what the whole laptop was for this for the studio display. And the panel, we know, is a very slightly brighter version of what was in the 5K iMac. So, actually, I feel they've missed a trick here. When you've got such an amazing display on the 14-inch and 16-inch MacBooks, you've got such an amazing display on the M1 iPads, why would you not try and get that into your rather expensive external display? Yeah, I agree with you. I don't mind paying more for this studio display because hopefully it will live longer than my regular iPad. And it is stunning, but it does make me smile. Just how deep is it? You know, it's deeper than the iMac 24-inch. It's got a whole computer in it. it. I don't know. It just kind of messes my mind a bit, if you know what I mean. It looks a little bit chunky for, for what it is, and the specs aren't as good as what Apple normally do. But it's their, to them, it's their entry-level monitor. Only costs one thousand five hundred pounds. Yeah, entry level on Apple is a whole different thing, isn't it? So it is interesting, but it was a bit of an eye opener to me. Is I take for granted how good the display is on my phone because I look at it. Of all the displays, it's probably the thing I look at most frequently, if not most often. And yeah, really quite impressed with a the iPhone's camera for taking it in the first place, but just the vast gulf in difference between the you know I know and I appreciate the Dell display has a matte coating on it, which is going to make it look a little bit duller. But, you know, connected via USB-C, all, all d displayed properly within display preferences. So I think, it, I mean, it's not calibrated. It hasn't got a color profile applied to it. But, but then 
the internal one is just as it came out of the box as well. So, yeah, interesting and eye-opening for me. No, that's fair enough. And I, I, I think you don't realize how good some screens are until you see it literally next door to one that isn't as good. I've got a Dell 27-inch something or other 4K in the office. And the only thing it's better at than my studio display is it's got ports. And I think that's the one thing the studio displays me. It'd be great if you could just plug two devices into it and switch between them. For me, that's something it is missing. But the rest of it, the screen is just infinitely better. Hands down. Yeah, fair enough. Well, that's it, I think. I mean, that'll do us for follow-up. It's fairly categorical, the conclusion that we've come to. MacBook Pro Studio Display. MacBook Pro displays are awesome in the 14 and 16-inch one. And we can move on to news. So, news. I think... The big story that sort of broke yesterday isn't specifically an Apple one at all, and I, I don't know if you had a chance to follow this much, but The Guardian are, once again, in the way that they did with the Snowden files and, and Wiki, 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 what was the name of the story? WikiLeaks. There you Leaks. go. It's, it's, it's in my head somewhere. The Guardian were one of the newspapers that broke that, and this Uber scandal that's hove into view yesterday is, I wouldn't say it's got the scope of, of WikiLeaks, but are any of us, so I guess, explainer-in-chief, 124,000 confidential documents about Uber's business practices have been leaked by a whistleblower. It implicates the country, the company, with all sorts of politicians, including Emmanuel Macron in France, Joe Biden in America, Olaf Scholz in Germany, George Osborne and others in the UK. And just how this has come to light is always interesting. I'm always interested in whistleblowers and companies. But are we really surprised Uber was making use of slightly dodgy business practices? No, I guess is the short answer. I must confess, anything that's got the word files in it is a bit like gate. You know, you, you get various Apple gates, like we had antenna gate. And then when it's something to do with journalism, it's files, which I, I kind of like. A couple of things that I found interesting, I don't know the full detail of, of the ins and outs of it, but the sheer volume of data leaked is huge like, i don't know what could, well it obviously shows how shady they were because they had no controls over how they how they managed their data which was quite alarming the i'm not surprised they're a little bit shady to have ramped up as quickly as they did but the just the names that you've already dropped are huge names that people have heard of and i don't know i just oh, i don't know what politicians think surely they know this stuff's going to come out so why do they keep doing it all the time? And I always remember a quote from this social media movie about Facebook. And oh, what was the co-founder of Napster, whatever his name was? Sean Parker says to Mark Zuckerberg, you've already done the thing that's going to trip you up. And it's quite true, isn't it? A lot of politicians have already done the thing that's going to be their downfall so many years down the line. And right now, obviously, in, in the UK, we're going through a new prime minister battle that's going to commence, I think, in the autumn, I read. So, no, I find it very interesting. I always look at it with my cybersecurity hat on because I'm always interested in how this stuff got out and things. But what did you say? 124,000 documents. And some of them are iMessages and things. So I'm curious to know how they got out because they're, they're quite hard to get off phones in any you know it's not like an it admin can get a backup and and dump it out in essence because we've tried this at work like how can we do a subject access request we can't we have to rely we have to contact the users involved and go can you give us all the data you've got around this customer off of your phone because we can't go and get it yeah i mean the story says that this is from mark mcgann who was uber's former chief lobbyist for europe the middle east and africa so the mea area came forward to identify himself as the source of the leaked data in the leaked data which spans 2013 to 2017 so not even the last few years the last five years there are eighty-three thousand emails i messages and whatsapp messages in the inside of the troll so that's 
deeply personal stuff that people will be passing to and from for these things. So I don't know, maybe they were backing up their phones. Maybe he was, well, he's, he's a lobbyist. He's not an IT guy, really. So it's surprising he could, he could you know, have that level of access. Yeah, it's yeah, it's an odd one. This what well, is also the concern, and we all do it. I message WhatsApp. You're always a bit friendlier, aren't you, and a bit more conversational than you are over email. So it's going to be bad, isn't it? And I, this can't be the last we've heard of it. No, I'm sure there's a lot more to go. I mean, let's 124,000 documents. We're not going to go through them in a couple of days, are you? I suspect what's happened is that he's cc'd or copied into a lot of these messages, and he's keeping his own record of them for his own purposes. I mean. Leaked messages suggest Uber executives were at the same time under no illusions about the company's lawbreaking, and they're doing things like they're not quite fostering violence, but sending in their drivers to dangerous situations and things like that in order to do it, and flouting labour laws and sort of just being extremely aggressive. You know, one executive joked to them that they had become pirates, and another just saying we're just illegal. So it, they knew full well what they were doing from the sounds of things. Mm, I feel dirty. I do. Have you ever used Uber? No. Nope. Right. So I have. I've used it in America. I've used it in this country. I've used it in Germany. And it's so in this country, you largely get a taxi driver. You know, has been my experience when I've used it in London and places in Glasgow is other places I've used it. Is they've gone into some sort of partnership with local taxi firms, and you know, you just pay for it up front. And you know, the, the drivers I spoke to about this because it was a novelty to me when I tried it in this country at least were quite happy with it. The, the sort of example one driver cited to me was, you know, this was in Glasgow. He said, yeah, often if I've got to take somebody home at one in the morning to Easterhouse or one of the dodgier parts of Glasgow, I know they're just going to run away when I get to the end of the ride. You know, whereas with Uber, I'm guaranteed payment up front. I might not get tipped all the time. I not, might not be making as much money, but I'm losing less fares than I would otherwise. So this is me trying to be, trying to be balanced, you know. I, I can see that appeal to a taxi driver, but actually there's probably other ways of doing that, you know, without going through Uber, but that that's the positive side, but obviously that's one person or a few people's experience. The shady underbelly of all this is, and the, you know, the, the deeper implications for the gig economy, as they call it, for, you know, freelance parcel deliveries and, and all these kinds of things. We work, that's something we've talked about before, you know, has implications right throughout the sector. Yeah, no, you're right. I've, yeah, I don't think I'm surprised by anything that's come out. I'm just, I think I'm more surprised by the sheer volume of stuff that's been saved up and then leaked. And then I just wonder where we're going to go with it. Like, is, is anything going to change, do you think, off the back of this? Or are companies just going to carry on doing this? Because this happens all the time. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, this is the problem with lobbying in general, isn't it? It's like uh, I, could, I could very quickly stray into dangerous waters here speculating, but, you know, when you're lobbying, this is something new in this case, but there are established businesses, you know, that lobby very hard in America. I'm thinking Microsoft, even Apple, Google, oil industry, all these kinds of companies that lobby to keep a position that you know is actually untenable. But because they've got political buy-in to it, the untenable position maintains for another year. You don't need to look much further than you know what's, what's happening in America with some of the sort of changes in laws and things there, where they know there's harmful stuff, say, to the environment ongoing. But they're rolling back laws anyway because the lobby, the lobbying issue is such a big one and people's pockets are getting lined. So even when there's outright illegality going on, as is the case with Uber, it doesn't surprise me that it gets passed on or overlooked and that there's politicians involved with it. Yeah, I guess. And I mean, we all saw Tim Cook or Tim Apple having you know, a meeting with Donald Trump and Trump going around the new Mac Pro factory. And I know that's, that's more in the public domain, but, but it does happen. And you know, there are two people that would probably share very little in common so yeah not surprised 
yeah, still amazed by it. And I've never, maybe I do, maybe that's my homework. I need to take an Uber at some point. But I live out in the sticks. And even when I go into London and things, it just doesn't come across my radar to get an Uber just because I've never lived in that world, if you know what I mean. No, I, I, and again, I, I don't want to sound like I'm defending the company because I think what they've done here is horrendous. But the convenience of being, for example, in Berlin for a conference and not knowing where anything is and really not understanding how the travel network works, firing up your iPhone and going, I want to go here. And somebody arrives at your hotel and takes you there and it's all paid for, you know, how much exactly how much it's cost you. It's super convenient. It really is. Uh, you know, the safety of some of the vehicles I was maybe in as were hurtling me across the, um, Berlin was one thing. But that concept, it, it, I think, is a great one. M- most people have got a car. It, to, to be able to monetize that for people who may not have a job in some way or can earn money in their spare time or for a full-time job, I, I think is, a, is, a, is a, a terrific goal. But obviously, there's a lot of embedded interests in taxi drivers and, and limousines and all that kind of stuff that aren't happy with that, which is why you see it working with you know taxi firms in Glasgow and other places. But yeah, it, it's an interesting idea, but you obviously think the pushback they got from it was so big that it was untenable, and that's why they went lobbying. Yeah, I think the the business idea is amazing. Like you say, it's a brilliant business. Just... Yeah, I mean, that would be the thing, wouldn't it? What, what we want is a proper ethical company to, to do these kinds of things and, and see how far they get. Because I think people would vote for their wallets. People will pay a bit more to do the right thing, I would say, even in these times of, you know, uh, crunch wallets and cost of living crises and things like that. I think people, like, a lot of people won't choose Amazon because they're unhappy with their business practices or Vodafone because of their tax results or, you know, insert company here because they feel like that. I know the masses may may just want the cheapest possible deal, but I, I, I do think there's a, there is a, a proportion of the population that are willing to pay a little bit more for, for you know, the, the, the right thing to do, the ethical thing to do. I completely agree. Completely agree. There, well, maybe, maybe it's a bit more of a strange conversation whilst we live in, in the world the way cost of living is, is going up. But I think you're right. People would, a lot of people would rather pay a little bit more and to have a better service that's done, done yeah. in the right way. Yeah, and, and that's probably Apple all over, other than maybe their questionable tax practices and their enforcement of the Apple Store. It's a more philosophical conversation than we usually have, I think, with this. But I think that'll do it for Uber this week. But we'll keep our eye on the story because it is interesting. Just before we move on, I read somewhere today that Apple had paid £800,000 or something in, or £800 million in, no, it must be £800,000 in tax. Like in the UK this year, and it's just like that doesn't sound that, very good. That doesn't sound like it's a very big company move, doing very much at all to me. Read, yeah, not good. I mean, e- even the companies we like that are our team are occasionally if we thought too hard about it. Probably isn't the best thing to do. Anyway, moving swiftly along to to talk about an Apple thing. Beta three came out last week. Have you installed it on your devices? Uh, I have installed Beta 3, and at the time of us recording, a new beta has just come out. It's still called Beta 3, but it's like, I don't know, Beta 3A, and it's going to be a minor update, and it goes in line with the public beta just coming out tonight as well. So I have been using Beta 3. It's it's not revolutionary. It hasn't really changed a huge amount. I think they've made doing the whole wallpaper piece on your iPhone a little bit more robust, and it works now. They've, they've kind of tied it up so that when you go to the settings screen, it all works. And when you go into photos and go, you know, make this my wallpaper, that works. So they've, they've tidied a load of it up. And for me, it just just felt a little bit more ready for prime time. And then on the iPad, I thought Stage Manager would have moved on leaps and bounds. There's a few more setting screens for it. It's getting there slowly. The drop down menu is a little bit better, but it's still not there, if that makes sense. It's still really buggy. And I thought it would have moved on a lot quicker. So I'm already waiting for the next beer. 
Yeah, they seem to be a bit slow pushing along with the stage manager updates, don't they? The one thing I noticed about it is they brought the goldfish wallpaper back from the original iPhone in this version of Beta 3. I like that. That was not available on my Pro Max. I wanted to try it out, but I couldn't find it. Really? I'm assuming that is a bug and that is going to be fixed. You surprise me. I'm pretty sure it's there for me. You know, I, I, I might go and look actually when we move on to another topic. But yeah. So, so let me just follow up on Apple paying tax, just where you were looking at yeah. that. So Apple stores in the UK paid less than 800,000 tax last year. The tech firm's UK retail business made pre-tax profit of 38.2 million on sales of 970 million. Uh, and you've got the fish wallpaper. I've got the fish wallpaper. Well, that's two amazing things. One is that they don't pay enough tax. And the second thing is I've got the fish wallpaper and you don't. Are you sure you don't have it? I had to go down and look in one of the collections it was towards the bottom of my iPhone, but it's definitely there. It doesn't do anything exciting like with the satellite or the weather view, but you do at least get to see the goldfish. It'd be nice if they moved or something. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you on, on Beta 3. It, it feels a bit more solid on the phone. I haven't really used my iPad and I'm not using that Mac anymore to talk about the to talk about the how, how the beta has improved on, on the Mac. So yeah, solid. It's, it's interesting. This is the one that the public are getting because I do think it's the most stable one. I'm not, see, I'm not seeing as many crashes or little springboard issues or things like that. So it won't be quite so horrendous for them. But all in all, I do think these have been pretty good betas. They're by far the most stable betas I remember in the last few years. If you, I wasn't using Stage Manager on an external monitor with more space, I'd agree with you. But I think those three things, they've just all managed to, you know, all three combined have just made it not as good as it could have been. I generally believe they should have released them in stages. And gone, right, we need more space. They could have done it as a point update to 15. Then they could have done, right, now we're going to do Stage Manager 16. And then 16.1 we do display support. But hey-ho, if they can pull it all off, I'll be a very happy person. Yeah, let's see how they get on with it. I mean, maybe it'll get pulled out and then released as a point update later on when they can do a little bit more for it. Yeah, that's true. So back to sort of more business in general. Elon Musk is trying to pull out of his Twitter deal. So as we talked about three, four podcasts ago, he put out $44 billion as an agreement to purchase Twitter. And as of Friday, he's decided he's terminating the deal with Twitter because it was a material breach of their agreement and made false and misleading statements during negotiations. I'm not surprised. I think it was a 50-50 whether it was going to go through. What was your view? Yeah, I, I got the impression it was always more of a sort of stab in the dark than a serious thing. But you can't really do this, can you? As the CEO of a company, you can't agree to buy something and then just pull out so publicly. You know, once you've messed with the stock price and things, I think surely once the, particularly once the company's trying to make changes to do it, I, I, I guess, I mean, without being a multi-billionaire, I wouldn't know. But, you know, once an agreement's in place and you've contracts are signed, you're without not doing it, you're in serious breach of contract and you're leaving yourself open to legal action. Yeah, but they're going through, so I have been through this place where I work at one public limited company in the UK, but two-thirds of another one so i've been through a fair bit of this but you you can announce the deal and then you've got a period to do the due diligence to close the deal it's just a bit weird though because it's all done kind of through elon talking and not solicitors and pre proper formal press releases so i find the whole thing a bit bit bizarre but if the due diligence doesn't marry up to what the promise was then you I'm sure you can put out but sure but that's uk law i don't know it? who's at fault here that's that is, yeah, I'm thinking of the UK. 
Yeah, so fair enough. In the UK, you have got that due diligence period. And I guess similar to buying something as a consumer, you've got X period of time to return it if it's faulty goods or you've you've bought it in haste and repented at leisure. I mean, this is quite interesting because like you say, Musk has been talking it up on Twitter for all the things he's going to do. And they've obviously signed a merger agreement because now they're talking about legal action as a, as a consequence of this. But the reason he's pulling out is because of the presence of spam on Twitter. Did Elon Musk really believe everything on Twitter was actual human beings and not bots and things like that? I, I just wonder whether he's just changed his mind and that's just a way of getting out, as it were. Yeah, yeah it makes me very... I mean, as I read this article, which is linked to in the show notes, you know, the, the company opened up the firehose, firehose access to its service so Musk could receive and analyse every tweet as posted. So they gave him access to sort of the, the crown jewels, so to speak. At that point, and you've signed a merger agreement... You've agreed to buy the company, so I understand why Twitter might be a bit peeved about this. Yeah, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe it's gone a lot further than I'd given it credit for. And and again, it's Elon Musk. He owns some of the most profitable companies in the world. You know, Tesla, SpaceX, uh, and things of that nature. He doesn't come across as somebody who, you know who, who isn't serious about business when it happens. You know. No, that's fair. That is fair. Anyway, I don't think it's the greatest move in the world, and frankly. Well, both companies may deserve each other, <laughs> you know, to a certain extent. But it, it seems it's it's not great. It's not great. Yeah, he doesn't come out of it in a great light. No, it's not great. But he's not coming out much in a great light for as much as he's been an amazing facilitator of getting electric cars going and, and getting us into space. I don't know. He's managed, he's managed to uh, suggest... Yeah, uh, I, there is a school of thought that says we shouldn't be messing about in space. We should be fixing the problems we've got on the planet, which isn't a new perception. You know, we've had this since the Apollo days, haven't we? That you know, why, why, why are people on the moon when I'm down here without enough food for my family? And you know, I have a certain amount of sympathy for that. Much as I love, you know, the, the concept of space exploration and how much I think it's done for us as as a as a race, looking out over, you know, what, what we can achieve. It's good to have something to aspire to. At the same time, we've got enough problems down here, haven't we? Uh, I don't disagree we wouldn't have problems down here and look, if we didn't do space we wouldn't have all these cool movies <laughs> and, uh, i remember watching interstellar and they said our mission is to leave this planet that is our our goal in life i hope that's not true but i, I don't know i think space exploration that there is something in it like what is out there yeah that's a big question it's definitely not one we're going to answer right here and i'm with you don't get me wrong i love the romance of it. i love the science fiction i love the i love the sheer engineering brilliance of various engineers on on all sides and all but all corners of the planet to solve the problems we've got even if it came from slightly you know warfaring means for rocketry and all the rest of it i think it's a laudable goal but i, I have a lot of sympathy for that we've got a lot of problems down here to fix too but anyway that's elon so next story the ruggedized or slash pro Apple Watch has been rumored. Have you seen this? Yeah, I have. And I was confused that the pro watch would be the rugged watch, if that makes sense. I thought the pro would be super expensive, I guess. But maybe it will be both ruggedized and super expensive. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the impression I got. If they built out, I don't know, titanium or something, they can charge $1,000 a watch, much like the edition watches back in the day. Yeah, that, that's why I thought they might go with the pro brand and move away from edition. Or, but they've, they've kind of moved away from edition anyway. It's just like Apple Watch titanium, isn't it? So, interested. What, what do you think about them doing a rugged watch with some serious battery life? I quite like the idea, but I slightly wonder about the market. There'll always be people who will buy the most expensive thing. I think the Pro Max iPhones show that. I think 
some of the Mac Studio models and the Mac Pro show that as well, because you don't always need that power, and some people are buying it just because it's the, the most expensive thing or the thing they feel they've got to have. So yeah, there's an automatic market. They can make lots of markup on it. We saw it with the gold edition iWatches when they came out, which was good for one generation of watch, and then they stopped making it. I'd have felt pretty suckered if I'd bought, you know, spent an awful lot of money on an Apple Watch, and then they immediately stopped supporting it. Good product, though it is. The first generation one was or the zeroth generation one was actually no good at all, really. So that said, that the market for a ruggedized watch is who? Climbers is, is you know, people are climbing Everest, is it people are doing ultramarathons, you know, they need more battery life and all the rest of it. I suspect they're probably already served by fairly specialized devices, like by Garmin or someone like that, that do exactly what they want to do for their, for their Ironman race or their ultramarathon or, you know, what needs to be there. So I'm not 100% sure the market exists for this. Yeah, I'm a bit mixed on it because the the watch just you know it lasts a day for most people. They've done bigger ones with bigger displays and bigger batteries. So I'm I'm like you. Is is there actually a market for this? And secondly, if I was buying a rugged watch because I'm going to be bashing it around a bit, I probably don't want to spend a thousand pounds on it. I probably want to spend a premium, but but not a crazy premium. I actually quite fancy a stainless one this year. I've never bought a stainless steel Apple Watch. And I think I, I, I keep eyeing up the current Series 7. And actually, I'm going to wait because I'll wait, wait for the, the new Series 8 because it's only a few months away. But I'd, I'd expect to spend more and more premium product that I'm going to look after rather than one that I'm going to bash around. Yeah, I think it helps that we've moved to a, like a two-year or three-year cycle with our Apple Watch as well. We don't, there's no compunction like with the phones to buy one every year. That It's stabilized a little bit. And I know we spent a long time thinking about sensors last week, but it, the, the actual feature set is stable. And it, it knows what it is. It's a fitness tracker with a couple of other little bits and pieces on, like it's your wallet as well. And that's all very handy. So that's good. I'm just reading a little more of the article on this potential sort of leak that it's aimed at athletes, hikers, and others who experience more extreme conditions during a race, such as extreme weather conditions. I don't think my Apple Watch needs to be, you know, I, I could run with it now, if I could run, you know, in, in various temperatures. I don't think it's going to go south on me. It's more the fact that with everything going as I'm running, the battery's not going to last that long. I don't see how ruggedizing it's going to help in that scenario. Unless they're thinking about more extreme hiking than what you or I would do or swimming in the sea. I, I don't know. I generally I don't know. Sure, I swim in I swim I in the sea. We need we need to see the bigger Yeah, we we, we, we do. It's interesting we're both failing to see it though. You know, we both see a place for the Apple Watch, but unless it's going to come with, I don't know, if you're climbing up Everest and you need six days battery life on your watch or something because there's no chargers in base camp, f- fine. Again, I don't think an Apple Watch is what you want. You want a serious altimeter and you want things like that to know exactly what's going on that isn't going to die on you battery-wise. So, uh, you know, mm, you know, your Rolex or your Omega watch that self-winds so you know exactly what the time is is probably a better bet. Yeah, that's fair. But like you say, the Garmin's already there, aren't they? And they, That's their little bit of the market, unless Apple's going for that as well. Yeah, yeah. My friend who's a, who's run, who runs the London Marathon every year does not have an Apple Watch. He has a specific Garmin thing with the battery charges, I don't know, once a month or something like that. He doesn't need to think about it. So, you know. Anyway, interesting. I'm quite glad on one side to see they're sort of going to push the range in a new direction. It doesn't hurt to explore a new market. I'm just, I, I want to see the sales pitch is what I want to see. Yeah, it's typical Apple though, isn't it? They must know how big this market is. And as they get more mature, they can, you know, broaden out into different shapes and sizes and try and tackle more of it. So I'm not I'm not surprised they're doing it. Just I'd like just curious to see what the story's gonna be. Yep, fair. Good. Okay. 
Next story. You can buy an M2 MacBook Air now if you want. I would love one. I think they look stunning, but I'm not sure what I'd do with it. <laughs> well, we, we've we've talked before at length how much we like the MacBook Air. What you know, what a great device it's been, and I think this looks like a solid iteration of the next version of it. They went on pre-order last Friday, which is great. I think they're already up to sort of five to six weeks waiting lists if you want one in the nicest colours. And of course, that's midnight, the nice blue colour. And with the space grey ones being a little more accessible, as long as you go for base configurations. Yeah, what do you think about the midnight colour? I think it looks stunning in the photos and some of the YouTube videos that we saw with the hands on. I would be probably a little put off because it just looks like it would just be covered in fingerprints the whole time. Yeah, the fingerprint things is, is is something to think about. So one of the things we did at work this week was we we ran a hackathon slash datathon thing, and I just sat around watching all the students sort of learning how to use it, you know the various tools we were giving them. A hundred percent of them were poking screens. You know, they, all of them were pointing at the laptops, tapping screens, tapping televisions, looking to put, put this code here. You missed a comma there. You need an angle bracket. All that kind of stuff. There's enough fingerprints inside of the screen, so I don't really care about fingerprints outside of the screen. So you got to pick a laptop up and move with it. So that doesn't bother me so much. It's a bit of more of a is it oleogophobic? Is that the name of the coating that's on phones that's meant to stop the smeary fingers? I quite like that on my laptop screen, please, when people poke it. Yeah, I can understand that. I'm. I'm like you, I don't mind if things have got a bit of use around them, that's what they're there for, but it just looked like a proper fingerprint magnet, and I don't know whether that, that would just frustrate me. I do wonder, though, why they don't offer a one terabyte 16 gig option just as a standard option, because that, that is the one that people know they want an air with a bit of overhead. That's the one to buy, isn't it? Yeah, you, you need that sort of space these days. I, I would say 512 absolute minimum. But most people should be buying a laptop with 16 gigs, one terabyte, default option, decent amount of money. You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, that's what I'd go for. Yeah. So the story that went along with this, unsurprisingly, is a couple of benchmarks have appeared for this computer on Geekbench, and it performs like the M2 MacBook Pro. Big shock. Big shock. Again, why does that MacBook Pro still ex exist other than just because it's a laptop with Pro that hits a price point? But yeah, big, big shock. I'm not sure... No, they're not. And I've said before, my M1 MacBook Pro, I managed to get them to spin up once. They weren't very loud. It was when I was playing Civilization VI, I think, that, that I managed to get it to spin up. With all the coding and stuff, I couldn't get it to spin up. I do not understand. A, again, we, we don't understand that laptop, particularly when, you know, the one without the fan that's thinner, nicer, and has more ports, is cheaper, is, is the laptop to go for. So buy an M2 MacBook Air if you can get one, and in midnight, if you don't mind fan fingerprints. You agree. Good. Brilliant. Oregon Trail now comes with step tracking. Have you heard of Oregon Trail? So Oregon Trail is a computer game from the very early days of computer games. It's sort of the, one of the first ones to display some sort of simple graphics back in even the pre-basic days. And Apple Arcade has a version of it. It looks a lot better than the old sort of text-based ones. If I remember, I'll try and put in a picture of the original Oregon Trail, or you can always go to Wikipedia, of course. But one of the things I thought was interesting as a bit of a gimmick is that the app on the Apple Arcade store We'll now put step tracking into it so you could walk the distance of the Oregon Trail as you're playing the game. It'll give you an idea how you've proceeded. And the Oregon Trail is some I forget the exact details of it, but it's something like you had to cross four they had to cross four rivers between one city and another, or they had to, you know, do X thousand steps, etc. etc. to do it. So I just thought it's quite a nice value add to a game that as well as learning a little bit about history american history of, of what the oregon trail was and computer game history for a, a game of that age they've actually built in a bit of fitness stuff to it which i know isn't old pokemon go had something similar in terms of steps but i just thought quite a nice little value add 
I think it's good value add, and I reckon to walk the whole of the trail if you did ten thousand steps a day, it'd take just over a year. So it's a it's a lot of steps. I think it's quite cool. I could see my kids and I getting into it because they count their steps on their Fitbits. I do on my watch, and we often compare numbers at the end of the day. And I think my kids would probably quite like to go down a way further on the trail than you are. So um, I think it's quite neat. And I think I saw this on the Apple TV the other day. I accidentally clicked on the App Store. I don't know why, and I think it came up there. There you go. There you go. I don't think it's going to count your steps quite so well on the Apple TV. I'd say not. Yeah, very good. But again, this this stuff interests me as a researcher because when we've asked for health kit data from our participants before now, we've had tagged Pokemon Go as people's steps. So this kind of way thing is a gamification for getting people out and to be fitter and to, to exercise them, be it your kids and the way they're competing against you with their Fitbits or whatever. I quite like this trying to make us all that more active, trying to get on and do it without it being, you know, without it being over the top, without it being get out there and do it in the way that slightly your rings are. Just that sort of gentle competition appeals to me. I completely agree. Gamification is probably a good thing to do. And like I say, if I was with my kids doing it, it's a bit of a family thing. of like, oh, look, how far along the trail are you? And, and I, I think it's quite cool. So just a little bit of real-time follow-up. The original Oregon Trail came out in 1971. Wow. <laughs> Which, before I was born. Yeah, and was available for the HP mini computer, which we do in a mainframe of some sort, the PC, Apple II, Atari 8-bit, and Commodore 64, which is where I remember it from, the Commodore 64 version. So way back in the dawn of the history of computing, Oregon Trail's been around for, and now you can get it on your iPhone and it'll count your steps too. Ooh. Brilliant. Moving on, I think that'll do it for news and rumours. Have you noticed our rumours are a lot more lacking at the moment? It's 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 real quiet time for, for, for Rumourville, but that's okay. It's quite nice to actually talk about news, I suppose. Do you know what? I think it's, it is a bit done on the rumour front. There's nothing, none of the companies are releasing anything that's, wow. I'm hoping there is a bit more of a shipping season, I think, which we're going to get into in the main show with you. But I, I agree with you. It's, there's nothing really grabbing me at the moment. Fair enough. Is what it is. Moving on. Media. So I was on holiday, as I said, I've had a busy week, but I've still managed to get completely caught up with all, for all mankind. I bang up to date with the episodes that are there, and it's awesome. Season three. Have you been watching it? I have not, because generally when I've sat down, I've had other things to do, and I want to give it some my attention. So that's on my radar this week. What, what episode are we up to now? I'm on three. I, I want to say it's four. I think we've got four now. Maybe five. Okay, so, so I'm not too far behind then. You know, you're not too far behind. Yeah, it's it's an odd one, really. That there's it's all about personal interplay and the characters and what they're doing, and then they at the end they sort of cram in some really good action scenes of and tense, you know, not over the top, no world-ending stuff going on here, just tense stuff with the astronauts and things. I've been really impressed with the last couple of episodes for how they've sort of left them. Okay, well, don't spoil it. I didn't. Um, I was very careful. Sure. I'll, I'll make sure I do my homework. And my second piece of feedback was Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which I mentioned before, is on Paramount in the UK. If you don't like Star Trek, watch it, because it'll make you like Star Trek. I think as a as a starter for 10, for, for a fun Star Trek show that doesn't take itself too seriously, and the lead actor's got amazing hair, you should be watching Star Trek Strange New Worlds if you get a chance. But I appreciate that with all the other stuff you've got going on, that's pretty unlikely. Yeah, I wouldn't mind to watch it. I'd be interested to see it. I've only ever seen the Star Trek films. They did more recently. They did that little trilogy. And I know that's possibly sacrilege, but I quite enjoyed them. I'm not against it. I just I don't know when I'll fit it in. I need to finish what we started. 
Yeah, completely fine. No problem with it. I'm just putting it out there that if you didn't like Star Trek and you wanted to start Strange New Worlds, isn't a bad place to go. I think the next story is yours, Chris. I just very minor. Did watch Minions two at the Rise of Gru with my children, and I preferred Lightyear. If I'm honest, that's, that's my that's my summary, my review. I like a bit of the Minions stuff. I remember watching Despicable Me before before it was popular, and Minions were were as famous as they are now. Loved it, but I don't know. Rise of Gru just a bit. It was just, I don't know, just same old, sadly, and felt a bit quick all the way through. And I felt like they could have just, and it's odd for me to say this, but it just felt like it needed just slowing down for a minute so you could take it in. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I, I think my kids are past the Minions thing now slightly, so we'll we'll see it when it appears on, on some form of streaming media, I'm sure. I, I quite liked them. I never thought they were the greatest TV shows, movies in the world. They were reasonably funny, reasonably well animated quite well voice voice cast but never set the world on fire for me i think i just kind of like the quirky world and a little bit of the art direction i just kind of like that yeah just just a bit quirky and a bit different but, and i kind of like the bank of evil and all, all that sort of thing that they had in the first one but yeah it, it was all right if you like the others you'll enjoy this but it it just didn't push forwards, like I say, as much as I thought it might, seeing as we've had it's had two years in gestation before it got released. But if you're going to go and watch one film, like yeah, every time. I'm inclined to go that way. And I've seen mixed reviews on that. Yeah, I did too. I did too. So we'll, we'll see how we go. Uh, anyway, but that, that's not what I want to talk about. The next thing I think is worth mentioning is Blackbird, which is new to Apple TV, starring Taron Egerton. It's classed as a psychological thriller. I have seen many adverts for it on YouTube and things like that. So unlike our last sort of complaints about Apple TV Plus not being advertised, this seems to be reaching some sort of saturation with people. I don't know if they feel they've got it with Taron Egerton as potentially a star that you know, people will pay for Apple TV Plus to go and see. Quite an interesting premise, I think, about, you know, potentially getting his parole based on getting friendly with another prisoner and trying to work out where I think a serial killer has buried some bodies. Quite, quite dark subject, really, for Apple TV Plus, but looks interesting. Do you fancy this one? Uh, yeah, I really like, I never know how to say his name, Taron Egerton. I think so. I, yeah, okay, I think it's that way. So I really like him, and yeah, I, I wouldn't mind to see it. So I do, I'll be honest, whilst you have seen adverts for this, I have not, so I did not know this was out. Yeah. So I will give it a go. It's interesting that she's got a Ray Lurator in it, who obviously passed away recently. He did? Yeah, I think he's actually Welsh as well, Taron Egerton, if memory, if memory serves. So, you know, a little local knowledge and linkage for me here. <laughs> and he's a producer on the show as well, there you go. Yeah, and I've seen something, I'm sure, about him. He sold the rights to his Tetris movie to Apple as well, so that's what we needed, a movie about Tetris. Moving swiftly along. How does he end up with the rights to a Tetris movie? Uh, maybe he's the producer on it, or maybe he's going to play the block that was really awkward to fit in any of the slots. I don't know how that will work. <laughs> yeah, so the, the last one I thought was interesting, and this is vaguely involving, it's, it's almost into gaming because it involves Sony. And this is, uh, the PlayStation Store is removing customers' purchased movies for any movies bought from Canal Plus, certainly in the German and Austrian territories. As of August 31st, due to evolving license agreements with content providers, you will no longer be able to view your previously purchased Studio Canal content and it will be removed from your video library. I don't feel great about that. That doesn't sound good, does it? Previously purchased. I. It's not like we're talking rentals here. Uh, you've bought it. Why, why are they taking it away? Surely are you allowed to download it before they kill it? Well, I don't think so. I, not that I've ever bought a movie from the Sony store on, on the PlayStation, but I, I would surprise me. It's not easy to get any media off that. Thing. No, it's an interesting one. Now, I have bought a lot of movies on iTunes, and I don't think I've been bitten by it. And I bought a lot of books on the Kindle and a lot of audiobooks. I generally buy from one store, so Kindle, I go to the Kindle store 
audiobooks go to audible movies itunes so i don't mix mix where i buy my media from just for convenience of having a library but i would start getting a bit upset if that started disappearing because i've got 200 films from itunes yeah, it doesn't take much to lose faith in something like this, does it? I mean, this only seems to be affecting two regions at the moment, but if it's happened there, the chances are it's going to happen somewhere else. And this is the problem. I mean, we're probably okay with a big provider like Apple or Amazon or wherever you choose to purchase your media from, but Sony's not a small one. No, they're not at all, are they? I just That doesn't seem right. Maybe not many people bought them. Well, I mean, there's some reasonable films in there. If you look at the list of what people are potentially losing them, uh, there's a couple leapt out at me, which, of course, now I'm looking, I can't find the actual link. But it's it's a fairly significant... I mean, Cockneys versus Zombies isn't anything I'm, anybody's going to miss. But things like Daredevil, which was, you know, there was a couple of decent uh, Hollywood actors in it, Ben Affleck was in is, it, I think. Is anybody missing that? Well, I'm just saying, you know, Django, uh, Eraserhead, these aren't unknown films, a lot of them, is what I'm getting at. So Jumper, which is quite a good film, with uh, what's his name from Star Trek in it? Oh, Star Trek, Star Wars, uh, Anakin Skywalker. Hayden Christensen. There you go, it's in there somewhere. So I get that the licensing deal is expired, but you as a customer probably didn't know there was a licensing deal. No. I, I, because you see this all the time on streaming platforms, the, you know, friends won't be on netflix anymore because the licensing deal has expired and they've got somewhere to stick it now so i get that but how can you take away something you've bought i have no idea and here we go here's the real reason you might get upset both paddington and paddington 2 could be purchased from this list as well so that's paddington 2 i think is the highest rated film of all time it's either that or citizen kane that goes between them so they've taken paddington 2 from people not only have they denied you from buy you know the thing you've bought but it's paddington too i think it's just it's unconscionable really i love that movie it's a great family film oh yeah this is just wrong if you've bought it it's yours yeah so they should at least allow you like a drm free download or something so you can take take your ball and play with it somewhere else send you a dvd in the post that you know there, there should be something that they should do here but it does make me worry about our streaming media future and the purchase of all these not actually our things. Are they ours or are we just renting them until you know some trade deal goes south somewhere and we lose it? As you say, you've bought all your stuff on the Apple Store, but who knows what would happen You know, if, if they sold that part of the business off to someone else? Would they say, right, all these are null and void so we can release our 8K, 8K double HDR versions of them? It's I just don't like it. It's not a good look. No. Anyway, I think on that slightly sour point, shall we skip over games and go straight to the main show, perhaps? Yeah, let's do it. So the reason we're skipping over games and going to the main show is that my long-promised Steam Deck finally arrived from America. So I ordered this well over a year ago on the day it came out. I say ordered, I pre-ordered it. I put £4 down on the Steam store the day after it was on general release. So I was certainly not first in the queue to get it. 499 quid, sorry, till like £450 for it, minus the £4 reservation fee effectively for it. And when I was on holiday, I got an email saying, your Steam Deck is available. You've got two days to actually buy it. Otherwise it goes to someone else. So I did that while I was in Spain, and three days later, shipping notification from somewhere in Illinois, so that's Chicago sort of way, I think, in America, my American geography not being what it was, and within two days it was in the UK. So I am the proud owner of the mid-spec Steam Deck, the 256 gig Steam Deck, which comes with a very fetching carrying case, it must be said, which I quite like. You might hear some unzipping sounds on the microphone as I, it's my Steam Deck I'm taking out. Nice case, nicely moulded. You know, and comes with the very thoughtful, so you don't have to touch the screen. It's got a little strap, 
here, so you can actually lift it out like that, which is just a nice little oh, touch. Oh, like that's nice. Yeah, but it's it's sort of permanently in the package for it, and just again, listeners, this makes great radio. But it's kind of the it comes with a nice sort of carrying handle and this sort of weird strap thing, so you can sort of attach it to something else. I think so. If you've got a briefcase or something, it's just another option for you to do it. So that's unusual. I haven't seen that before. How many people have a briefcase? Question one. And then add that subset. How many people with a briefcase would also own a stream deck? I don't know. Maybe you you stick it on your rucksack. I can't think your average business owner is going to be rushing to buy a Steam Deck anyway, frankly. But uh... I wonder how many people actually do have briefcases in this in this day and age. So I've got some questions, obviously. So I don't even know where to start with this. So I am quite impressed. And actually, I have been giving the Steam Deck the side eye in more recent weeks because I was just a little curious with it. And I have been impressed from what I've heard around the software. So it shipped with okay software, I think, as in the operating system. And from what I've heard, it's just getting better and better. And they seem to be moving quickly on getting, you know, releases out, which that's, to me sounds great. I love it when you get something and and the company are investing in it and, and it's moving forward. So I've been quite impressed just on my periphery, what, what, I, what I've been hearing. And then my children have also been playing a little bit of Command & Conquer on the PC and things. And we, we've got a, quite an old laptop. And I was just like, oh, I wonder, you know, should I look at something like this, a bit more modern, that's more more actively supported? So you've got middle of the road. So you can get three flavors from what I was looking at. You can get a 64 gig version, a 256 gig version, which has got a quicker SSD, and then the same again, but as a 512 variant. What Did you just go for the middle of the road one because it had the quicker SSD? I went for the middle of the road one because I thought it was a balance between price. I didn't, as an untested device without knowing anything about it, I didn't want to spend the most amount of money on it. So that's just my ever so slightly sensible brain going, nah, 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 don't, don't spend a huge amount of money on it in case you don't like it or it doesn't perform as advertised. Or let's face it, it was slightly, it wasn't vaporware because I trust Valve to put a piece of hardware out. They've done it before, but I wanted to give them the benefit of the doubt. So I thought middle of the road, most storage, a couple of games will fit on there. That should be enough. Okay. Now, when I look at picture this, it reminds me heavily of the Sega Game Gear, if you remember that. To me, it just screams Game Gear. I never had one, a friend of mine had one. Now, when I'm looking at that, you've got two thumb analog thumbsticks. And then you've got two pads just below the thumbsticks. What are those two pads? So the left and the right ones are slightly different. This is like an, so in the same way, so let's try and, try and talk about this rather than show it. You have got on the left-hand side of the device, you have got a thumbstick and then you've got the cross sort of controller, which are sort of most often associated with, well, PlayStation controllers have them top left next to the thumbstick, but I think it was the NES that originally had one in that sort of cross formation, left, right, up, down for your console platform type, you know, game things. So you can control that with that and that. And then you've got another sort of swipeable pad, which will actually bend a little bit. So you can actually, it's just a third way of controlling the same thing. But the one on the right, underneath the thumbstick in that point, is actually a mouse. So it's a touchscreen, but you can actually, in the same way that the Apple TV remote, the original Apple TV remote, had a swipey surface that so you could move things around on it, you could actually use that as a mouse. It looks quite small for a mouse pad. Accelerates quite well. I mean, one thing Valve have got is experience with doing this because when they did the Steam controller a couple of years ago, they had more or less the same layout where you had these two swipey pads left and right. So for games that, say, a first person shooter, where you weren't happy with using the stick but were used to using a mouse and a keyboard, you can gradually move, swipe your, finger, your thumb over that hand side of it and you get slightly more fine grained control than you get with using a thumbstick, if that makes sense. I'm just trying to work out could I play Command and Conquer on it? That's where I was going. So hardware then, it looks good. It looks a little chunky, if I'm honest, but then I think well, it's a whole PC running in there and it runs Linux. Is that right? 
So yeah, so underneath it is a distribution of Linux called Arch. If you're into your Linux distributions, there's sort of a few main flavors of it. The better known ones are Debian, which is also Ubuntu, which is probably the biggest distribution in the world that runs a particular packaging system called using .debs and apt-get as its update thing. So Debian, what was Red Hat, but is more increasingly Fedora these days as a second distribution of Linux. And then the third big one, and there are many more, but the third big one is Arch. And this uses the Arch distribution as its underpinnings. And on top of that, there is a version of Steam which sort of takes over the operating system. But you can drop out of it and back into desktop Linux if you want to. So is it a bit like Windows 95 on top of DOS, where DOS is your version of Linux and you're booting in to Windows 95, which in this case is Steam OS, I'm guessing they're calling it. So it fires up, what, Linux underneath and then goes straight into Steam on the top of it. Is that right? Kind of, yeah. I think that's a bit unfair, the DOS Windows yeah. thing, because it is a fully windowed operating system underneath it all. It's not just sitting with a bash prompt. No, but I just more meant that you're running two operating systems kind of on top of each other. No, I think it's exactly like if you run Steam in big picture mode on Windows so or, or on Mac as was. Well. So if you fire up Steam now on your Mac and you go into big picture mode, you get a controllerified version of Steam effectively. So it's right. that, if that makes sense. No, no, it does make sense. So it boots, so I'm guessing though, it boots straight into Steam OS. So you don't even really know if you're a novice user like me you don't want to see the underpinnings you don't need to and then from the screenshots it looks a lot like the switch operating system if i'm honest like how they've laid out the menus and and, the, and that which there are limited things you can go with but i say say that's a compliment i know you're not a big switch fan but i don't think that's a bad thing and then you can pick your games so what do you do with a game that needs a keyboard and you haven't got one plugged in does it not let you play or how does that work so okay that's there's a whole there's a whole thing there. The operating system I don't think is like the the switch. I think it's like Steam big picture mode. So you know you control it with left and right stick. You move around your library, which I've talked on before. I have three hundred plus games in my Steam library. is always accessible to you there. So okay. it gives you an it gives you a notification whether this the sort of three levels. This will not work. This probably might work, and this is verified for the, for, the, for the Steam Deck. So you get like a nice green tick if it's verified, and the other states are fairly obvious as well. And I'd say 40% of my games are probably, you know, at least runnable on it. And then I think 68 out of those 300 are verified to run on the Steam Deck. So that's a reasonable proportion of games I've just bought over the years. Yeah, and obviously you've got games in there going back donkey's years, I'm going to suggest. I'm curious, I'd be curious to know how many games coming out in this year how many new releases will be deck compatible, whether it's, is it like Apple where you've got to make it work on everything or is it up to the developer? Yeah, I think it's a little column A, a little column B. So if you remember, one of the reasons I was messing around with Linux on my gaming PC was because there's an emulation layer. It's not an emulation layer. Wine is not an emulator. There's, there's, a, there's a, a shim layer, let's call it, a bit in between the operating system that makes it thinks it's running a Windows game. So it's called Proton, which is a development of Wine. And this Proton evolution has accelerated since Valve have started making this thing to make Windows games run at almost full speed on Linux. Now, what's interesting about this is it isn't an Intel or an AMD chip in it. It's a power PC of some sort. So Really? What? Sorry, sorry I shouldn't say power PC. I should say ARM. It's an ARM chip of some sort. Okay, because I was going to say PowerPC, the ones that are famed for being really hot. And, yeah, no, yeah and not, not that. Performance for what? Not that. So it's an ARM chip of some sort that's on it. So not only is that, are they running this Proton layer, shim, they're actually running on not hardcore PC hardware either. And i got to say, I'm quite impressed so far with what it, what it can do. 
Yeah, it does sound good. And when do they start shipping? Do you know? Is it earlier this year? Well, they've been shipping fair in dribs and drabs over the last sort of three, four months, I think. Maybe a little bit longer than that, but not in any sort of serious way. But there's been a real change in the last six weeks from, from what I'm reading on the internet in that they seem to have been able to sort of double or treble production. There's, there's devices coming out thick and fast now. So something has changed inside of Alva and their production or wherever they're coming from, that these are actually now beginning to come out in volume. And, you know, I can speak for that having missed the sort of initial rush that I've got mine now just over, well, I guess it's just over a year on. And it's a, I got to say, it's a very well-built device. You know, it feels very solid. I know you said it's chunky like a Game Gear and it is quite wide, but it actually fits in your hands really well. And although it's definitely heavier and bigger than a Switch. It's not uncomfortable. It feels good in the hands, you know, and it's got many, many buttons on it. It's got, you know, the things you'd speak, you'd expect to see on a PlayStation controller as well as four buttons underneath. So I'm trying to show Chris on the camera that you can see there's four buttons each side. Yeah, no, I think, it, I think the design of it looks good and the grips look really good and grippy. I, I really like that. It's probably better for an adult. I was thinking about my children using it. They might struggle a bit because it's so big. Whereas I, th I think it's definitely designed for adult gamers. Yeah, I'd agree. And if anything, there's probably too many control methods on it because, you know, you've got the thumbsticks, you've got the mouse pads, even though one of them's not a proper mouse pad on the left hand side. You've got a touchscreen. And just to harken back to your question a minute ago, it has got an on-screen keyboard, so it will pop a keyboard over. But what the community are very good at doing for this device and for the Steam controller before it was you can create controller layouts and upload them to the Steam store. So it may be like Civilization, which is a very heavily you know, mouse-based game, they've got a controller layout that will say, okay, use the right thing as kind of a mouse thing to move the cursor around or use this trigger to select or also explore with units or you can use this thing. And it will tell you as the game's launching, it will show an overview of what all the various controls do. So if you don't like a, a, a controller layout, the chances are you'll find one that suits you more on the Steam store somewhere. It works really well. Yeah, that is quite good actually because you... Like I quite like Civ myself, and I think you'd want certain functions mapped to certain buttons and so on and so forth. It does sound quite good, and it, it does feel like the the software developers are, are starting to support it. And it's only going to go one way. It's going to get better, I would have thought. It does seem like they've done it in the right way. They've given people plenty of time. It's great that you go on the store and you can see, like you say, the, the three states, whether it's supported, somebody's had a go, or no, nowhere near kind of thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm impressed with that. Actually, I'm a little interested just because we've got a PC that I barely look after. And it's, I quite like the idea of a device that would, you know, would be patched, maintained, would probably play most of the games that we want to play. I am interested to see what it's like plugged up to a screen with a keyboard and a mouse. Yeah, I haven't tried that yet. I, I want to revisit a question you had earlier that I also skipped by about what it's like for current games. So I think the best-selling game in the world at the moment is Elden Ring which is a Dark Souls alike. It's only just come out and it runs perfectly well, 30 frames to 60 frames per second on the Steam Deck in your hand. That's pretty good. Like, they should be shouting about that. I, I think they are, but but you know they've got no problem with selling these devices at the moment. But if that's the level of, of what we can expect to come on this thing, that's great. You know, If the, if the best-selling game in the world, other than your Call of Duties and things like that, which aren't on here, that's good enough for me. And Shadow of the Tomb Raider works on here and, you know, and others of that ilk. So your first person shooter, your driving game, you know, all that kind of stuff seem to work fairly well with the controls. And they're actually probably better because it's a known controller layout or you can configure a better one if you don't like it, you know, compared to, you know, the, the swathes of various input devices that people have on PC or whatever. So, yeah, I was quite impressed with that. What I will say is weird when you go to the Steam website, the Steam store, so I just looked at Elden Ring that you mentioned. So it's forty nine ninety nine, which 
feels like a good price to me after playing some, buying some games for my PlayStation. But it shows the Windows logo. And I was like, oh, and it works on Windows. And then you have to click on into it, and then it will show you whether it's Steam Deck compatible. But it's interesting. It shows the Windows icon, but not like a deck icon, if you know what I mean. Like they've got a Windows icon, a Mac icon, but they don't seem to have a deck icon for when you're searching games. And actually, yeah, Formula One 2022 also works on it. It's got a big green tick, and that came out last week. There you go. So, you know, they're keeping it up to date. And a lot of these games, it's interesting. I mean, Elden Ring looks like a demanding game to me. It looks like a large, you know, complicated first-person shooter. It's an open-world game. It's a big game, you know, it's able to support that kind of thing. But the other things, I mean, we could maybe talk about the games I've been playing in a minute, but it suits those kinds of games. And this has been written before, and it might not surprise anyone. You're a big Switch player, so you might identify with this. Games played in your hand feel fairly different to those that you play at a distance from the from the tv or at a distance from the computer it's kind of a slightly more personal thing so i've spent a lot more time playing games on this that i had that i would i passed over very very quickly when they were on the playstation or or when they were on steam on sale when i no doubt bought them back in the day it's just super it's the super convenience of it though isn't it and you could be a bit more sociable with the family but yeah have a cheeky game yeah yeah, if you don't want to watch what they're watching, you can fire up this. And I will say, the instant resume thing is phenomenal. You know, Knowing that it's Linux underneath here, the fact that you can t- hit a button, it goes off in about two seconds, and you turn it on again, and it's immediately where you left it in the game. You know, you don't need to wait for something to boot back up. You know, I don't even know how a Switch responds in that, because I don't even remember playing, playing Breath of the Wild that much. But if you knock Breath of the Wild off and then turned it on again, were you straight where you left it, or would it go into some sort of save state? No, I switched now. I've not played Breath of the Wild, but say Mario Odyssey, you just turn it on and there you are. You're back back where you were. It works really well for one game at a time kind of thing. Like, I don't know. I, I love my Switch. I don't disagree. It needs a bit more horsepower. I think they've done a really good job with it. I'm interested on the dock thing because it, looking at Steam's website, it looks like the dock is just a USB-C dock. So I'm guessing you can just plug it in and I'm guessing you could... Bluetooth, a keyboard, and a mouse to it, and off you go. Yeah, I haven't tried it yet. I haven't had a compelling reason to, but yeah, you can absolutely just plug in any old USB-C dock that's got an HDMI output to it or something like that, connect it to your TV, and off you go. It'll mirror on the on the screen there. And then you can connect a wired keyboard and mouse if you want. Connect any sort of weird peripheral. As long as it's vaguely supported in Linux, the chances are it'll be picked up by the dock connector. So yeah, you can get some quite cheap, you know, we've talked about them on this show. You can get some quite cheap USB-C docks that will probably work perfectly fine for this. At some point, I'll try it. And of course, the other thing we haven't talked about is if you want to, you can dump this out into desktop Linux and actually install something like OpenOffice or LibreOffice or something like that and, and crack on and use it if you wanted to as a little computer. It's uh, probably more powerful than a Raspberry Pi. I've just found the nail in the coffin for me. It doesn't support commandos behind enemy lines. No, yeah, well, it came out about twenty odd years ago. Well, maybe twenty five. That no, that that might be just now, but it probably does support Desperados, which is effectively Desperados three, which is effectively just Commandos anyway. The other thing, just while we're talking about the hardware, before we really get onto the games that I quite liked, is that there is a micro SD slot in the bottom, so you can bang in. Well, I've got a five hundred and twelve gig SD card, so you know I've more than doubled the the online storage, and it manages it very well between the two things, and it's not. The modern versions of micro SD cards aren't significantly slower than the, the than the M2 that's in there anyway. It's a sort of a half size M2 that's in there, so I, I've more than you know, more than doubled my storage just by sticking a card in. So I'm good to go. I think I've got 18 games on there at the moment, and I've still got plenty of space left for more. Good. I do like you can expand it. I do struggle. I think it's a bit. In my PlayStation, I've got three different types of storage. 
and I just don't want to think about it. I just want to turn it on. I don't really care where you install the game. I just want it all to work. But I think that's good. Uh, anything else on the hardware? Does, how does the battery last? It's still a bit new, but I would predict on a variety of games and a variety of some of them, like D platformers, which aren't very demanding on it, aren't very high fresh rate. You could probably play for about six hours. I think if you fired up Rocket League or one of the more or Doom, the new Doom or one of those, you're probably talking about three and a half to four tops. I'd say that if you're playing handheld, though, you're not going to be playing for three and a half hours. I would suggest so. So on the face, I think that sounds pretty good. Yep, it's it's more than good enough. It does have a fan. You can hear the fan a little bit when it sort of really cranks up. There is a vent along the back because we're still talking about hardware along the top there that is an exhaust. You can't feel it when you're playing because your hands are over here, but you are slightly aware that there's a fan running. Apparently, this is you were talking about how they've updated the software over time. That the initial version of the software that came with it, the fan was cranked up way high, and everybody was complaining about this sort of little jet engine that they'd bought. But I have, I've, I've been peripherally aware of it, but it doesn't annoy me if that makes sense. You know, I've been far more aware. I'm far more aware of the about seven fans in my GPU and my gaming PC when it's up and running than I am in the fan with this. And that's only with the volume up a couple of notches and no headphones. Uh, do you know what? It sounds very similar to the Switch. The Switch has got a little fan on the top in very much a similar place. And it vents. It's, it's annoying every now and again, but it's not the end of the world. And half the time I put my headphones on anyway. Yeah. No, it's good. Shall I talk about a little bit about some of the games I've tried on it? Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, we've done hardware. What, 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 what games would you recommend? Well, Slay the Spire, obviously, because, you know, what, what gaming system is complete without Slay the Spire on it? So absolutely get Slay the Spire if you haven't got it. And I know it on, I think, almost every device that I've got. It's on my iPad, it's on my phone, it's on my PS5, it's on my Xbox, it's on all sorts of bits and pieces. So get Slay the Spire if you haven't. What, not, what have you not got so far? So on this, I'll give you a little list. And if you want to ask me which ones I've actually played, I'll, I'll talk you through it. So it comes with a free game. It comes with something called Aperture Desk Job which is quite large, but if you played Portal or Portal 2, then the chances are you've 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 heard of Aperture Science, they're sort of Valve's brand. Portal and Portal 2 have just come out on the Switch. Yeah, yeah. How much do they cost? Uh, they were quite expensive, actually, I thought, for what they were. I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it, it, it wasn't 50 quid, but it wasn't five quid. So I'll, I'll, I'll cover, cover Portal 2 slightly in a minute, but just to say, Aperture Desk, uh, desk Job is you working for Aperture Science, with a desk, and it's a really nice little tutorial, if nothing else, for all the various controls within it. It talks you through it, it talks you how they work. They got J.K. Simmons back to play Cave Johnson if you played Portal 2. So it probably took me 26 minutes to complete it, but it was free, so I'm not really knocking them for that. And what a great little introduction you know, to the console to give you an idea how it all works and what goes together. So that's one that you've got to have on there. I don't know if I'll keep it on there, but certainly in the first week of owning it, I had a lot of fun playing that and, and gave me fond memories of Portal and Portal 2. Uh, that's fair enough. I like it when they do a tutorial game to show off a device. They did it on the PlayStation 5 with Astro, something or yeah. other. Astro's and, Playroom? You know, yeah, that, that sounds about right. And they're playing with all the toys, you know, on the controller and the sensing and, and stuff. So so I, I quite like a little girl like that just to warm you up. And it's nice if you bought some ink and you've literally got no Steam games. You've got you've got a place to start. Exactly. Okay, so what else have you been playing then? So Apex Legends, of course, so haven't played it on the iPad, but it is the full Apex Legends. It's not the cut down one that we've got on the iPad and iOS. It contains all the maps, it's got all the characters. If you spent money on Steam buying skins and horse armor and all that kind of stuff for it, one runs very well. I've played two competitive games online. The frame rate is amazing. This is a full 
modern first-person shooter that runs extremely well on this little screen, you know, on this little device. And I, I'm showing Chris on the webcam here for those that can't see it. And, you know, the quality of the screen is actually extremely good, you know, for, for what it is. And considering it's a touch screen as well, you know, it's it's. It, I'm really impressed. What kind of screen is it though? Is it an OLED screen? Is it? I think it's just a just very. A... It's a very good IPS LCD. I think it's a weird resolution. It's 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 quite an odd shape. The screen. I don't. I can't remember off the top of my head exactly what resolution it is. But it's not like it's any EP screen or something. It's smaller than that. Yeah, it looks. So the Switch does 720p and looks a bit more widescreen than than yours. Yours looks slightly squared off widescreen, if that makes any sense. But I've got the Switch OLED, and that screen, that panel is is stunning. It really makes a difference. But looking at what you've just shown me, it does look a very high-quality screen. Yeah, and the fact that it's, you know, and I know the Switch is as well, that it's a touchscreen, it's very sensitive to responses, you've got all these controls as well. I am quite impressed with it. So I'll move quickly along, or this show is going to take forever. So I don't know if you've played it, there's a little platformer called Fez, which has been around a few years now, that is available on, I think, all platforms, but is just perfect for this sort of device. It starts off as a 2D world. You, when you get beyond a little bit, it suddenly turns into a 3D world. Not push the hardware that hard, but it's just a very impressive and fun little puzzle game, you know, with some platform stuff and all the rest of it. So that works really well. That sounds cool. I do like the game, and I think you're right. I could see how it would work really well on that kind of device. It's made for it, isn't it? Um, yep. Hades, which is sort of a, a, a torchlight, Diabolo-like, roguelike game with a, a really well sort of narration element to it. It's got some Greek mythology in there. Also very impressive, deliberately very hard room to die a lot and go back and start again. But it's it's a big game. And it's again, I glanced past it when it was on PC and it was on my Xbox Games Pass as well. But I've already played more of it on this than, than anything else. Because again, it's in my hand and it's exactly the right kind of game for it. Uh, yeah, I think it's that uber convenience of it, isn't it? Yeah, I'll, I'll, we don't need to go into these in all sorts of detail, but I'll just I'll quickly skip through some of the other ones and we'll stop on it. Hotline Miami, which is a sort of top-down dialogue game. We talked about it before when I was talking about the Anger Foot demo, a thing called Hotline Miami, and there's Hotline Miami too, but I haven't installed that because I like the first one better. Instant death, start again, hyper-violent, not one to play with the kids, but really well done, really fast, you know, again, works really well in hand. Into the Breach, which is sort of a puzzle game, which you can get on the Switch. I actually bought this one for the Switch as well. I liked it so much when it came out on the on the PC a few years ago, so that's why I've got it on my, my Steam Deck as well. If you just want 20 minutes puzzling, it's very simple, the sort of Lego-looking game with... It looks like fairly limited strategy at the outset, but there's a, there's a lot to think about that. It's really impressive. I don't buy a lot of Lego games, but I happen to have Lego Star Wars The Complete Saga kicking about. So I've banged that on there as well. I've played the first level with, with Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, you know, twice now, made the force work, collected some studs. Yep, looks like it's all there. Great for offline experiences. I love how you have a 50 quid game just kicking around. Well, I wouldn't have paid 50 quid for it because it would have been, you know, in, in the Steam sale. This isn't the Skywalker Saga. It's not the one that's just come out. It's from a few years ago. Uh, okay. Okay, this the, the Skywalker saga looked quite good. I was about getting it with, to play with my kids, yeah. but it was a little pricey for my liking. Yeah, and that works on here too. I did I did have a look, and you can get the Skywalker saga for this, and it will work. Outer Wilds, which is a game that I bought because it was super cheap. I think I got it for six quid in the Steam sale a few years back, and then didn't. I, I played it to make sure it worked, and then come back to it. It was really highly reviewed by all the computer game magazines at the time. It's got an interesting mechanic. It's got some sort of time loop. The game restarts every 22 minutes because the universe ends. Wow. But, so, but apparently it's an amazing story. So it's one I, looked, I, went, I thought, I'll come back to that, and never did. So I think this is my opportunity, actually, to sort of spend a bit of time and actually finish it. So that's a I certainly found it with the Switch. I'd play, play a lot more games... Yeah. Just because of the convenience of it, I could take it on holiday, I could 
take it out with me. I've, I've got my lunch break because it's just that more casualness about it. Exactly. So I think it's going to be perfect for that. I have put Portal 2 on it, but I haven't fired it up yet. So but I'm going to run through Portal 2 again just to see how that goes because it's it's a wonderful game. I mean, it's got to be up there for the greatest computer games of all time, really, for me, Portal 2. Oh, it's a great concept. Love that game. Yep. And even if it's just for Stephen Merchant and J.K. Simmons' voiceover, it's worth it for that. Uh, also introduced me to the band The National, so yeah, Portal 2. Uh, Return of the Oberdin, so there's a developer called Lucas Pope who did uh, Return of the Oberdin and Papers, Please, both of which are games, if you're at all interested in computer games, you should get, because they're excellent. I didn't finish Oberdin, but I'm going to go back to it now. Rocket League, because it was there. It was a vast download for this little thing, though. It was like a 60-gig download, Rocket League. I'm not entirely sure why. It, it was quite flashy for the sort of the tutorial that I played, So, but it's there in case I want to have a go. Slay the Spire. That's just football with cars, right? Yeah, I don't know why it's so big. Slay the Spire. The two super hot games, because I love super hot. I don't know if you've played either of the super hot games. I have played super hot. I'm guessing just the first one. Awesome. Yeah, and Superhot Mind Control Delete. I supported Superhot on Kickstarter because I thought it was amazing, so I think I actually got the second one for free because I supported them. And then last but not least for this install anyway is The Witcher 3, which is another game that I bought a long time ago. It is absolutely massive. I've played the tutorial three or four times and then it's just so big I've never come back to it. But now I've got it on this, I think I'll invest a little bit of time in, in it as well. And that's what I've got on here so far. It sounds great. It does generally sound really good. I'm curious to know how big Rocket League is on my PS5 after you told me it's 60 gig on your device. So I'm going to go and check that out afterwards. I was just look, browsing the Steam store. It's your, your fault I was a little sidetracked because I was just looking at all the games. Because it's just something I don't go very often. So I've just come across Dune Spice Wars, which looks right up my street because I used to love Dune too. But it doesn't even mention the stream deck. So, so it doesn't even say uncompatible or anything so i'm assuming that means it's not compatible well no because that game is not actually released yet it's in it's in like a closed bit so an open beta where you can pay be pay to be part of it on on pc at least so because it hasn't actually been released i don't think they're under any sort of compunction to 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 race it in any way shape manner or form and i gotta say i'm not i will put civilization on here i think i'm not sure it's 100 percent right for that kind of game it might be but I think high-resolution, small games with lots of text on the screen are probably the wrong kind of game for this device. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. I was just curious because I, I saw this June game and I thought, oh, that looks kind of up my street. I wonder if that would, would play on it. But I think you're right. Those games do work really well on a laptop with a, or a desktop with a screen and a keyboard and a mouse and that. But I was just curious. I was just got a little lost in the Steam store because I don't browse it at all. I just... Yeah, it's not on my radar, if that makes sense. There's so much stuff on there, though. Yeah. Yeah, there is, there is a game for your interest there. So the other ones I'm thinking about putting on there are Doom, as I mentioned. You know, the, not the most recent Doom, but the one from a little while ago, which I didn't finish, but was loving. And a couple of the Dirt Rally games. So I think they're up to Dirt Rally 4 now, but Dirt Rally 2 is on there. So 5, even. So... I have Dirt Rally 1 and 2. I don't. I think I used to really like a Codemasters game back in the day, and these are sort of an evolution of those. So I'll put them on and report back as well. But, you know, I think I had enough on there to sort of be going on with. If I put too much on, it'll become like the PC, and I, I won't focus on one thing or another. I'll, I'll, I'll go away with it. So it's that sort of quick hit of gaming I want at the moment with the odd longer-term thing on. And it looks like it's going to knock it out of the park for me, i got to say. It does look good, and it will be good for driving games. The Switch is awesome for it. My son and I have played Dirt 5. We've completed all of it. It's a really good game, but it's still 45 quid, which seems quite expensive for a Steam game. But we loved it. It was the only game I kind of had on the PlayStation for a while, to, you know, because it, it was a launch title. I, like you, like the Codemaster games a lot. So I can see I can see it being good for Doom. I'm assuming you get Quake, because they've done that relaunch Quake as well. I don't know if you're a Quake 1 fan. 
Uh, I did, of course, like the original Quake, you know, back in the day. I do, for all I've talked about retro gaming in the past, I do struggle a little bit with those because if the state of the art is the latest version of Doom, I forget what it is. Certainly this version of Doom is an awful lot better than Quake. Quake, quite simplistic now with the graphics and everything when you go back and play it again. I've got no real desire to play it other than a certain sense of nostalgia. I'd rather be playing, you know, there's not enough for me to go back and play Quake at this stage, given how things have moved on. No, that's fair enough. I can understand that. Did you um, ever play Command & Conquer Remastered? Yes. Awesome. Sorry, my kids have been playing it. and It's such a good game. Yeah. I think you're thinking of Doom Eternal. That could be Doom Eternal, yeah. yeah. Um, Which looks pretty good. And has got a big green tick for verified on your stream deck. Later. Yeah, but I haven't bought that on Steam, so it's not one that's... But considering I've bought the console, and look at the value I've had out of the games I've been buying over the years anyway for it, without having to go... You know, the, when I bought a Switch, I had to go and buy, buy Breath of the Wild, and I had to go and buy Mario Kart 8. There was nothing in my previous Nintendo history, despite having bought a lot of Nintendo consoles in the past, that carried over. I had to get them again. This, I've got the value of 300 plus games potentially that I've been buying and will continue to, to go over time. Plus I've got Slay the Spire, so you never need anything else anyway. But it, it, you, you can see what I'm saying. It's a different value proposition to what Nintendo's given me. When the, when the Switch goes away and something else comes along, Nintendo want to sell me all the same games again. That's a very, very different thing. So I guess I'd agree. I, two things, I think. One, have you really bought them though? Will they get taken away for licensing? Back to our earlier topic. Two, I completely agree. So when I bought my Switch, I didn't really have any games, so I've been buying them. And for me, it was a bit the same when I bought my PlayStation because I didn't have a PS4, I didn't have any downloadables. But actually, assuming one day I get a PS6 or whatever it may be, I will have a bunch of games on there that I could probably play because I'm starting to build up that digital library. And I'm quite a big fan of the digital piece. I don't really own any media. So I would agree with that. I think that's the world we're in now. We want to go back and play some of those older games from time to time or, or just to try it out. So I, I do think it's good. Even I've got a few games in Steam somewhere, so I'm sure if I bought one, I could log into it. I don't think I'm 100% sold on one myself because I think the games I would want to play, as you've said, aren't the right games for that style of device. But it does make me want to go and fire up Steam on my laptop and have a look and see what I've got in it. I think you're whetting my appetite a little bit. And what does get me with Steam, and I know there's a few games we've just called off are quite expensive, but they have so many games that are pocket money value in essence. And when they have a sale on, they have a sale. And I think their sale is probably better than a Prime Day because it's proper discounts and un, un, um, unseen prices from you know previously, whereas Amazon often just sell it at the same price as they did last week. They've just said it's cheaper. Yeah, and just on the piece about, you know, is it really yours or am I renting it? I think I've had a Steam account since Counter-Strike, one, whatever came after 1.6, when they launched the, we've talked about this before, when they launched Steam as a platform and Valve launched Steam as a platform. And I've got games going back to them. I could go back and play the original Half-Life. I could go back and play the original Counter-Strike. They're all still in my library. And that's an amazing technical accomplishment to support something over. How long has it been since we were at university? 20 plus years now? 20 years. Yeah, and all those games are still playable in my library. They've never taken anything off me that I'm aware of. So I feel reasonably safe with Steam, you know, and what they've done. To an extent, more than other... With Valve, I should say, not Steam. You know, as a custodian of these things, they're probably not perfect. And you know, We talked earlier about how awful corporations can be, and I'm sure that they're fairly cutthroat in that market because they are the dominant player. But 
I respect what they've done over time, and they do put the, the work into you know those software titles we've talked about, things like Half Life, things like Portal and Portal Two. You know, they, they've created some amazing games over the years, and and they've created an amazing platform to sell games. And it looks like they're beginning after several failed attempts to create some really impressive hardware. So more power to their elbow, as far as I'm concerned, at a good price. And my final thought as a rant is if you go to iFixit, they've published the complete thing to iFixit, how to take Steam Deck apart and replace any of the bits in it as well. And very few companies do that these days. You know their audience, don't they? Yeah, they do. I think that I, I generally think, looking at what you've shown me about the device, what, what I've seen, I, I think they're doing all the right things. They've got a massive catalogue. They're chipping away at getting the catalogue compatible and they're not in full control of all the titles. They're moving forward with SteamOS, what feels like from the outside quite quickly. I think it looks really good and it's, it's quite exciting, I think. Yeah. I think if I didn't have a Switch that costs circa 300 quid, I'd probably be looking at something like this for a bit of mobile gaming. But I've got a mobile gaming device. I don't think I need another console right now. No, and you've got an iPad and it does gaming as well. But you know, we know Apple's commitment to games is not, I mean, Valve make games for a living and sell games for a living. Apple don't. So it, it, it's, it's a different device than an iPad. An iPad is a more general computing device or a, a device for getting work done, as you proved to us most weeks, but, you know, the utility of it. So that's great. I quite like having the focus. I don't want to mess about so much with Linux. I can do that when I want to. I wanted the focus on a gaming thing that was a bit different to what I'd have in my hand. And it's it looks like it's going to serve that very well. Yeah, no, I, I think it sounds great. And I kind of like that they've taken some of the bits from the Switch or maybe they already had it in the works. But I think the Switch has got a lot right with the hardware design. And I think they're leaning into it. And I know you, the Switch isn't for you and doesn't have the performance, but there's a lot of similarities and i think that's that's a, a good thing yeah i mean well done nintendo it's been a very popular console it's probably the next most co- popular console after the original wii so you know what nintendo have always been good at and i'm conscious we're going along here we'll have to call it a show in a minute is that it's, it's quality of software with good enough hardware has has been nintendo's way to me they might have the odd gimmick like the original wii motes and things like that but it's the power of the games that have brought nintendo through it's the i, I don't want to say the ip around mario but i think the concept behind some of the games mario 64 the original mario platform games are just very very well made entertaining games mario kart is an entertaining platform game racing game so it, that carries them through the console generations and yeah they put an oled screen in the, in the switch but it's not dramatically different from what came before, I don't think. I mean, you've, you've got them both. You'd know better than me. But it's the quality of that software that sort of pushes them along. Absolutely the quality. The only reason I picked up the OLED one is I managed to sell my original Nintendo for basically a 50 quid upgrade to the OLED. And I was like, done. I'll, I'll do that every day of the week. But I think you're right. It is the game's quality. A lot of the indie games aren't for me on the Nintendo I, most of the games I buy, the, the first-party games, occasionally I buy a remaster or, or something, but the majority of the games I want to play on it are Nintendo's first-party games. Just while we finish, one, one other thought about the Steam library is that, now I think about it, I actually subscribed to a thing called Humble Bundle for a while, for a while which which is a, another, it's, it's a gaming store as well, but for, I think it was £11 a month or something, they were giving away five or six games every single month, all of them with Steam codes. So for that, and I got shed loads of games thrown into my steam library for that i think there's probably games in there i still haven't claimed because i had no interest in them and a lot of them were those sort of indie games so there are other ways as well as the steam sale and the catalog you know there are other ways of getting steam codes for things so the potential to grow that catalog is is quick fast and you're going to end up with some quality no matter what so it's just it's a very complete package to me and 
unlike Google, I hope they don't sort of take their eye off the ball and, and too hurriedly jump to the next version of the platform. Because I think this has got a bit of mileage in it yet. And, you know, we are where we are. I'd, I'd agree with that. I'm going to go before next week's show and log into my Steam account and see what I've got in there. Because there would have been a bunch of stuff I bought 10 years ago and I could probably still download it and play it. So I, w- I will have a look at that before Do next it. week. Good. All right. Well, I've banged on about my Steam Deck too long and I've probably bored everybody who's, who's not interested in computer games senseless. But I think it's worth talking about. No, I've, I've enjoyed it. Like I say, it's not quite for me, but I've enjoyed talking about it. Brilliant. We'll call that a show, Chris, I think. Yeah, I think so. Thanks to everybody for listening. And same time next week. And if anybody wants to email us, you can do at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com. And our Twitter handle is WFS underscore podcast. And again, love to hear from you. Do, do contact us if we want us to cover anything. Brilliant. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rob.